Welcome to DSO Overflow. I'm Michael Mann. And I'm Glenn Wilson. We are the organisers of the DSO London Gathering, a monthly community meetup for anybody involved with factoring security into their delivery. DSO Overflow is sponsored by Dynaminet, a consultancy and training organisation specialising in DevOps and agile security. Okay, Glenn, I'm quite excited with this episode of our, our podcast. Uh, we've got two wonderful guests, Aaron and, and Kennedy. Yeah, so this is a follow-up from our DSO London Gathering last Wednesday, an online event, and it was one of the most exciting events we've done, I think, and it's great to have both Aaron and Kennedy here. So, Aaron and Kennedy, whoever wants to go first, please introduce yourselves. I guess I'll go first. I'm Aaron <laughs> Reinhardt. I'm the CTO and co-founder of Verica. I co-founded Verico with the creator of Chaos Engineering at Netflix, Casey Rosenthal. And prior to that, I was the chief security architect at United Health Group, where I wrote the first open source that applied Netflix's Chaos Engineering to security. And I'm also the O'Reilly author on the topic of security Chaos Engineering. And I'll hand it over to a good friend of mine, Kennedy, who was a contributing author on the O'Reilly book, and I'll let him introduce himself. Yeah, thank you so much. So my name is Kennedy Tokura, and I am currently a, a cloud security engineer at Maramost. And before then, I was working at Data for Life, a company in Berlin, as an information security engineer. And prior to that, I had spent quite a, a, a number of years in the academy doing my doctorate in cloud security. And that was where I actually started more like researching about security chaos engineering, where we had to solve certain problems and there weren't solutions for solving them. And we sort of started playing around and then we realized um, later on that what we were doing is called security chaos engineering. So <laughs> so that's the short story, story about me. So for our listeners, what is security chaos engineering? So chaos engineering, so let's just know it's easier just to kind of explain what chaos engineering and then explain what security chaos engineering is. Well, chaos engineering, I, I'll give my own definition. There is a Netflix definition, but my own definition is, is it's a discipline of proactively introducing turbulent conditions or faults, faults or failures into a system to try to determine the conditions by which a system will fail before it actually fails. The, the key component to this is just, I love to give, I give this example at the meetup, but I think this resonates with people really well. It's like, it's like the idea of a legacy system. Legacy just means it makes all the money for the company. That's what it means. That's the, that's the thing that when it goes down, people get upset. So legacy also means it's like, it's rarely goes down. We feel comfortable with the system. We're competent. The engineers feel like they understand the system. Like, the documentation kind of reflects what it really is, you know, even though the documentation really never is what it is, but, but we feel comfortable with the system. But the, this begs the question, was the system always that way, right? Was it always so well-known and stable and, and, you know, people felt so competent? Probably not. If we learn about, it becomes that way because we learn through a series of unforeseen events what the system really was versus what we thought it was. And so, you know, so the pro the problem with that is, is that over time we learned that we didn't have something configured right, or we did, didn't have it placed right, or we didn't have enough of one thing or another in the system. And we start to learn what we really need and it becomes stable over time. But the process of those unforeseen events, those surprises, incidents, outages, and breaches cause customer pain and or losses in productivity. Now, chaos engineering, you can think about it as a proactive way of walking through that exercise without impacting customer pain. We're, int we're introducing things that we expect to be true about the system. I expect under this much latency or, or when this kind of misconfiguration occurs, this security control fires or this latency, the auto scaling kicks in or like that, 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 like I believe that these conditions to be true. And then we introduce those conditions in the system uh, and we, we try to ascertain, are they actually true or not? Very rarely do chaos engineering experiments or security chaos engineering experiments, and I'll let Kennedy actually chime in on this one, is, is that I have rarely seen a security chaos engineering or chaos engineering experiment succeed. It's just we're almost always wrong about what, how, we, how we think the system works. Kennedy, what are your thoughts? You mentioned a lot of very valid points. And to, to me, you know, security chaos engineering is, is all about you introducing security faults um, into a system and you want to see how those faults impact upon the security attributes 
And by this, I'm specifically talking about confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Yeah, you want to really understand it in a pragmatic way. You, you don't just want to um, assume, you don't just want to do some kind of, you know, some, some kind of simulation. You want to understand from a very practical standpoint, we want to have evidence about it. So that because that, that, that knowledge, you, you want to gain it and use it in, in, in a rather, you know, in a pragmatic fashion. So you're introducing those faults, security faults, and you're observing how do they affect anything, you know, security and how, not just do they affect it, but how, what is the extent? What is the, what is the magnitude of this impact upon your systems so that you can, you know, carry that, carry that knowledge and reuse it somehow, you know, usually to harden your system or to plan about the future, you know, because as security people, we always have uh, limited resources. And sometimes you cannot really do anything about it. You have to consider things about if you have to consider things like your attack model, you what kinds of um, attacks are you trying to you know to, to guard against. So you want to carry that information and use it to harden your system or to plan for some how to do that in the future. You know, you, you, I was just going to say, Kenny brought up something that I just want to highlight. You know, Charles and Watu. He now leads governance, risk, and compliance, and an automation of that those type of things at Netflix. Prior to Netflix, he was the chief information security officer at Stitch Fix. He started. He started. He came to me uh, when I was still at United Health Group, and he said, "Hey, Aaron, I love the security chaos engineering thing. I'm, I'm interested in learning more and applying it because the, the thing is, like, like Kennedy said, we have to do so many things, and we have to do them right. Like, but like, how many of them do you?" actually do well and how do you know it and that that's the key question it's about doing less better in a way is it another buzzword security chaos engineering is it how's it different from the general practice of running an instance response war room type scenario or the concept of purple teaming where you have the operational analysts and your internal attackers your red teams kind of working together to simulate attacks determining if the system is gonna uh, break or, or not and, and monitoring making sure that all, all those monitoring use cases are, are in place is, is there a difference so a lot of people ask these questions and it's kind of logical because you know whether you're a newbie in, in security or you've been there for many years we have seen a lot of um, evolution of different kinds of security toolings security controls and they have moved over time. And some of this evolution has been triggered by, you know, systems, the kinds of systems, you know, from the olden days, you had three-tier applications, you had started having microservices, we're having Kubernetes containers, we're having cloud architectures, and usually security has to move with these trends. And over time, we see that each architecture comes in with a new kind of problem. And when it comes to those problems, you realize that either the existing security controls have to adapt or they have to, you have to create something new completely from the ground up. So I think what happened, you know, looking at what Netflix did was they had a unique problem which did not have a solution at that time. So they kind of creatively thought about how do we fix this problem? Like you have to fix it right now for our business to survive. And they thought about security, they thought about chaos engineering, which maybe it was, you might call it a buzzword, but they were fixing a problem and they needed to give it a name. So the idea of um, security chaos engineering, which Aaron, you know, kind of coined, and maybe it's easier to just add security there so that people can understand chaos engineering and, okay, so now it's security, but still it's not very clear for, you know, for when you hear it the first time. I think it's, there's a lot of uh, overlap, over, you know, between what other security tools do or other security mechanisms, red teaming, blue teaming, and, and all of that, but there are unique things, you know, in security chaos engineering. So you want to be proactive. I think this is the major difference. Other security toolings, they are like reactive. They act after the incident that happened and they try to fix it. They try to understand, they try to learn. By that time, the enterprise has lost a lot of money and they are losing trust from customers and all of that. Security chaos engineering is trying to be proactive. It's trying to act before those problems happen, before there are incidents. So I think this is like from the point of what you gain, this is a major difference between um, security chaos engineering and other security mechanisms that have existed before now. I think that's great explanation. I would just add a few other pieces to it. It's like, 
you know, we're confused as a business, just to, just to be clear, like, what is pen testing anymore, right? What is red teaming? I thought, didn't we, didn't we move from red teaming to purple teaming? Now we have red teaming and purple teaming. I'm confused, right? Like, because the problems were between, you know, with red teaming, the biggest, it was like the DevOps problem. There's the wall of confusion, right? And people were, the, the red team would go forth. And typically, remember, red teaming is typically done on like maybe the top 5% at most at a company. And, and a lot of times it's regulated, that regulation it's pushing it and funding it, you know, but like it's, uh, it's hard. But we can't add here, here what we're also not saying. We're not saying don't do any of those things. Still do those things, right? The more objective information, you know, more objective information we can get back. Instrumentation. Engineers don't believe in two things. We don't believe in hope. We don't believe in luck. We believe in instrumentation. We believe what testing tells us. It worked or it didn't. And why? That way we take that information, recalibrate, fix, right? Fix, move on, evolve, you know, iterate. And so, uh, yeah, we're supposed to move on because red team uh, would, would attack because they always win somehow, right? And they would throw the PDF over the wall to the blue team. Blue team would be like, what the heck? You know, what am I supposed to do with this? So we evolved into purple team. Purple team was supposed to fix their culture issues between red and purple. It was like, you know, we're going to do this. Eyes wide open. You can see what we're doing. We're going to tell you what we're doing. Kind of like, you know, in a way, it's very analogous to like the clear box testing with like pen testing. Pen testing is, is, is a technique within Red, red teaming typically anymore that's see that how but we're also seeing pen testing being like automated you know but pen testing in red teaming and purple teaming for software is very difficult it's very difficult because you know you uh, when you're attacking node.js you have to know node.js you have to go right after that or you have to if you're going to attack java 6 versus 7 you got to know java 6 versus 7 and the problems with it or or net like it, it's very specific and the problems with software are are not as not the same as attacking Active Directory or, or Exchange or old school corporate IT. That's what most of the red and purple type of tools you see in the market address. They address big corporate IT type of stuff. We need to do that. We need to do red teaming and purple teaming and pen testing on the corporate infrastructure. But the software is where we make the money. So we have to also focus our instrumentation because our products are made from software. Like, you know, I'm just saying the laptops get us there, but like it's the, it's the software that's really generating the dough. And here's another thing with security chaos engineering. If you want to differentiate between purple teaming-ish and breach and attack simulation tools, we're not simulating a bunch of attacks, a bunch of changes, stepping through different parts of an attack and trying to trying to see how the system does against a lot of activity introducing one failure into the system because we're being conscious like kennedy said this is more of a distributed systems problem so we're attacking it from a distributed systems like large kubernetes clusters and, and cloud native large cloud native applications that have thousands of nodes like you're sending a lot of data to the system when you step through attacks we're introducing one failure meaning the firewall is there to detect a misconfigured port fine to introduce the condition does it actually catch it and stop it Right? Did something else catch and stop it? Did they both provide good log information? Did the log information generate alert? Because what we're trying to do is once we do the experiment and we succeed, to normal we don't succeed, remember? Normally we're almost always wrong about how the system was working. But once it succeeds, and then it becomes more of a regression test over time on that system. But that also means expand scope now. Instead of now this environment, we go to this environment, run the same experiment. We're experimenting because even the different security groups within the same environment you're going to have different results. And it's quite interesting. I find the security chaos experiments that are the dumbest, the dumbest. I mean, like the most boring, stupidest things that you think would never, never not get caught. Almost always get caught. Almost always like are, are true. I mean, what I mean by that is like they, they succeed. Like, like crap, I thought that's what was supposed to do that. You know, it's like, it's because it's, it's there's a massive difference between how the engineers are building things and how security people are building things. And we have this lack of alignment problem, lots of differences, but it really comes down to we're injecting faults into the system versus attacking or trying to get in. The goals are different as well. I, I just wanted to add just to, to buttress what Aaron just said. So like my entry point into case engineering like was very like built in you know academy a prototype of a cloud security posture management system. And you know these systems are to detect the random changes like misconfiguration, drifts, and, and all of that in the cloud. And so having built a system from an academic perspective, normally if you write in paper, you have to evaluate, you have to show how adaptive that system is 
and compare it maybe with some other systems. So we had a challenge and we wanted to test. And normally, if in a security world, if you are checking, if you're testing maybe like a web application scanner, you will have already an established toolbox, things like Kali Linux, uh, you know, or Metasploit, you will just configure and point at these things and they will just send a, a barrage of attacks and you can kind of understand how to respond. And what we discovered was there was nothing that could help us to test this environment. And so we more or less started to build, you know, a, a bunch of scripts because we had ideas of what could go wrong. And we started, you know, launching those, those scripts, again, the CSPM, and then we were able to understand. And what we did was not just to launch the, the scripts, but to make the system, like the attacks to be dynamic and to also play with the amount of attacks. So you can see you just, you want maybe 10 attacks per minute or 20 per minute. So the system is actually tested in things that could actually happen when a system is under, you know, malicious action, you know, so, so, it, and, and I think this is the problem today. So the, all the CSPMs that are coming up and all of these new systems, how do you verify whether it's just marketing gibberish that the vendors are selling to you? How do you even know? Or when you deploy them, how do you know if they are they are giving what the vendor has promised? This very this is a tangible question that I think that I can't think of any other way you can actually get this answer apart from using something like security chaos engineering. That's why at the end of every one of my presentations now, Kennedy, I come back to that quote from John Alspa. Because that's where John Ospaugh, he brought resilience engineering from the world of like medicine, nuclear science. Like he brought it, he brought it in like, you know, in the aeronautics uh, space. He brought it, brought it to software. And one of the things he, he, he tries to tell engineers is like, guys, we got to stop just like solutioning. We need to start asking better questions. Don't just assume our, our answers are correct because our understanding of the world is wrong. So if you understand the world is wrong, you have the wrong information, you're going to come up with the wrong answers. Like, so the idea is, is we're trying to derive better information about the context of the system so we can provide other people with the information. Like, you know, if we launch a, a vulnerable image on a, in a Kubernetes cluster uh, and Twistlock or Aqua or whatever tool you have is not firing, that's not those solutions' fault per se. It's it's The environment's changed 100 times. The solution didn't. The, the security <laughs> didn't. Like, where's the alignment? You know, like. It's, you know, it's highlighting what I like. It is we're kind of highlighting in a graceful way, like that we're not as things, some things we're doing are not really correct. <laughs> or we're like, it's like we don't align well anymore with the way engineers work. And DevSecOps has really opened our eyes to the world. that like, guys, like this is an engineering discipline. The business value, it doesn't come from your understanding of risk. The business value comes from the engineering. And we're screwing up the engineering. We're making it more difficult for engineers to deliver things. Well, the security chaos engineering is a directly engineering approach. What I like about another a cool thing I like about like this is all things I've learned after I started experimenting with this stuff. You know, to be clear, this wasn't like a grand vision. This was like an accident. Okay, but like compliance can be a byproduct of a good engineering instrumentation. That's what I like about it. I think compliance should be the byproduct of good engineering practices, and not not the goal. It should be the byproduct. But like with security chaos engineering, you're proving whether the security worked the way you thought it did. Keep the output in a high integrity way, label it the right control framework. You got a free auditable artifact, you know, that proves it. Yeah. So the whole idea of chaos engineering or security chaos engineering is that you understand what your secure steady state is. Then you introduce a hypothesis to say, you know, our steady state will remain in certain circumstances. Then you inject the faults or, or the error in order to prove that theory. And then you've got the, the result from that. It's like an experiment. So where, you know, red teaming and pen testing is a testing exercise, this is very much an experimentation to prove that what you've done is what you think you've done. And therefore, as you said, Aaron, engineers are able to, you know, they're able to actually see what they're delivering, what value they're delivering, uh, and understand where they're not delivering value, and then fixing it. I, I think you explained it maybe better than Henry and I both did. I don't know, Kitty. Oh, no. I'll let you figure that. Out. But like, I, I you know, with it, so getting to know Casey over the years, so like, you know, really opened my eyes. Like, first one, I released Chaos Slinger. Netflix team invited me out. They're like, hey, what are you doing? You're doing this for security? <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, it's it's still engineering. It's still it's not a different part of the system. It's still part of it's different attributes. So, like. 
Kennedy said, different attitudes the system. So what we're address, what we're instrumenting, you know. But like getting to but getting to know Casey Rosenthal, the creator of Chaos Engineering, over the years, like I got to know, understand the real story behind Chaos Monkey, and like it, all all the things and stuff started making sense to me. Because as a company, the key driver for us, you know, people come to us. We've kind of evolved Chaos Engineering a little bit as a practice into something we call continuous verification. But like people come to us for cloud transformation. Like that's the, you know, and it's like, wow, you know, it's like even the Valley companies, this is not the banks, just the banks and the big companies of the world and the startups. This is like, you know, big companies in SoCal Valley transforming. I'm like, you're not in the cloud yet. Like, you know, like they're not, you know, it's like, you know, it's just being being the non-Silicon Valley version. Anyway, chaos engineering is like, it was a great way for Netflix to get sort of feedback loops on like, as they were building into the cloud from being that sending DVDs in the mail, as they're moving to streaming services on Amazon, they were constantly, they started with Chaos Monkey, you know, it was bringing down AMIs sort of randomly, but like they were learning constantly that the things that they built were working. The retry logic, their circuit breakers were working. They're like, they started figuring out that things were actually working. So I, I, I feel it is in my mind, I believe that chaos engineering could be a great accelerant for cloud transformation in general. It's it just, because people always do it wrong. I've done it four times, three different companies, four times. Okay. I'll tell you, I can tell you those stories, but that's too much time anyway. But it's that executives always give the wrong timelines, right? They always, they, have, they don't realize it's going to take longer to learn. They always try to do too many applications at once. It's not about how many you try to send to the cloud at one time. It's the rate right, that you get there. It's the rate you're building and shipping. But anyway, like they're always worried that they don't have the right people. So they hire Amazon's pro services to come do it for them. Then they don't learn. But like, really, engineers just need a feedback loop. Like, okay, I go forth, I build. I'm used to building it this way. Now I'm building it this way in the cloud. It's different. I get it. I go forth, I build it. Now I need a way to instrument that to know what I built was right and that it works. Like, this is a way of doing that. This is a way of doing that. Hey, after all these things that we built, does the property we expect emerge from the system? So it's security in particular is usually the, the heavy weight that cloud transformations are trying to get past. Like cloud security teams are trying to figure out and the rest of the company's waiting on them. This is a way of like a security teams can give their best shot. Like, I think this is how we do it. I think this is how we build it. I think these are the rules we use, right? And then you introduce these conditions and verify it. And then it helps build that confidence. You know, we can do this. We're doing it. It worked. We were right. We were wrong. This is why, right? This is engineering. This is how engineering gets done. Nobody's perfect. I think like this, the keyword there, which is really important is like the feedback loops, because um, especially in the cloud, you have this um, problem of um, loss of control. Like everything is virtualized. You don't have a feel of what's happening there in the cloud. And you don't have to wait until when things go wrong. You don't want to wait for customers to tell you what's happening. You know, that becomes a bad thing for you. So how do you get this information? There are a lot of ways of doing this these days. You get logs, you get observability, but you want something that gives you more accurate um, information. And so I think there is a lot, again, as Aaron said, for the cloud and transformation, you know, move to the cloud, you deploy, you want to be confident that everything is working as you expect it. And I think there is really no way for getting that, that confidence except you kind of test it. You test specific things so that you get specific levels of, of confidence. You know, It's really, really about testing for specific things and getting that information back, which supports your confidence. Okay, so we've talked a lot about experimentation. In my mind, it still maps to test cases. So it, it could be a terminology challenge I, <laughs> I have here. But parking that aside, how does one actually define or derive an experiment is it i mean aaron you said earlier that it was it's you know the test cases are or the experiments using the right terminology here are typically quite boring you know how do you introduce a company to this concept what do they do how do you help them or what can they do to define the first experiment our industry is horrific at this right Mm -hmm. we just had a whole conversation on red purple there is a thing called the security color wheel is like every color of the rainbows a thing? It's like, wow, really? Somebody actually reached out to me over the internet asking me, so what do you, what color do you think security kiosk engineering should be? I'm like, magenta. I don't know. <laughs> like cyan. You know, I don't know. 
I don't know. But, you know, we like risk, define risk. Very confusing, very complicated, very quickly, right? You know, because it doesn't come from our industry. Anyway, so uh, to answer your question, where do, where do good test cases come from? You know, it's very analogous to test cases. You're spot on, Mike. But it's, it's I like what I like to say is past this prologue. You know, meaning what has happened in the past is likely to happen again. And so it could be the organization has certain skills gaps. It could be the technology gaps. It could be that, you know, you do certain things. Some teams do some, some things one way. Some things do it another way. Some teams do things well. Some teams don't do some things well. Uh, the thing is, is that certain weird things kind of happen where flaws exist and, and behave. And it's, you know, so past incident data is a great place to start. Like, you know, usually when people get started security chaos engineering, I'm learning about this from the beginning. I'm sure Kennedy's learned from other companies too in Europe, but like from, I know the Capital One and Cardinal Health, they had major adverse public events, put it that way, uh, before they started thinking differently from what I gathered. You know, and a lot of companies, almost every other company doing it, they're like, hey, we need to think differently about how we're doing this. But it's like, so so if you've had a recent sub one outage or, 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 or you know, or security potential breach or uh, our incidents, you know, you know, that information and, and, and things that you expected to be covered for in the system or, you know, so that's one way to think about it is if you have good incident data, I find that almost no one that has good data outside of sub ones, you know, if you, if you go, th- it's, here's a good challenge for the, for our listeners on here, Go if you're an incident responder or if you're not, just ask to get resp- uh, access to the incident information, get approval to do it. But go look at it. It is horrible. You can't tell what the hell happened, right? Like, because what happens is we don't really document it well. We move on to the next incident. Like it's just revolving over and over again, you know. So, but that's an area of improvement for the business, in my opinion. Right for a startup to, to help out with that. Anyway, so if it's not that, then another good area to come from is like is what is something that I know that we have built for and we, that we, we know that we depend on it and we know that it's working? Like, meaning, like, that's why we started with Chaos Slinger, started with the misconfigured port. Been solving for that thing for 30 years, right? Like, in the cloud, it still happens. <laughs> but, like, we believe firewalls were our bread and butter. You know, we just believe we have the, the most competent firewall engineers and the cloud, we're going to get it right. And, that was not our problem. Everything else was the problem. So, okay. We introduced a misconfigured or unauthorized port change, sort of randomly in our EC2 security groups. And it turns out the firewalls only worked about In summary, past incident data, or go with things that you think beyond a doubt in your mind. You built it. You know it works. That's what you want to test because I'm betting it doesn't work. <laughs> and at, least not all, at least not in all cases. And I don't mean that we're, we're really crappy at what we do. That it's the it's the nature of the, the game we're playing. It's constantly changing. The system is to live and has to constantly change. Humans have have to manifest security in that system, and we're just we're not, can't keep up. The pace is different, and so this you know that's what I mean. Anyway, Kennedy, your thoughts? Yeah, <laughs> that was a great one, Aaron. So I think I want to start from like the more like the social approach because like. You know, I, I had the opportunity to speak with a transportation company in Berlin, and they're actually um, practicing chaos engineering, not security chaos engineering, but chaos engineering. They came to me asking about the security part. But anyways, I like the approach because what they did was, you know, to, they first gathered a couple of guys from different um, domains, you know, architects, security, SRE, DevOps. They just, you know, brought these guys together and they kind of brainstormed you know, upon the first, because they, they had the challenge of even, you know, bringing in chaos engineering into the company. So they had to like, you know, buy people over. So like kind of hands on brainstorming, what do you think can go wrong? So at the end of that meeting, they, they already came up with possible places to start. And then they went in and kind of sat down and prepared it. I don't know, maybe they already had prepared it, you know, that that's a nice way, especially in a company, you, you Otherwise, you know, it's, it, I mean, if things fail, maybe it's something someone, another person mentioned. So it, it kind of saves you all the explaining things. But, but apart, from, apart from that, there are other ways. So, for example, I learned a lot from, you know, from um, the people who practice fault injection. As, because fault injection is something that existed. It has been there for a long time. It's, a, it's, it's an old practice. It's, it's practiced a lot, especially for cryptography, for automotive in the automotive industry. And so when, while I was studying, I had my second supervisor who was into this domain of fault injection. 
he was very excited when I told him I was practicing security chaos engineering. And so what I understood from them is like, you know, they have, they kind of understand the fault, the fault space, which from a security perspective, for the way I understand it is more or less your attack surface. What are the areas which attackers can come in, right? So you gotta understand that. And then from there, you can begin to construct what you think might go wrong. And there are a couple of ways you can do that. You can just brainstorm. You could use things like threat model, models. You could use attack graphs. Like all of these ways can give you insights into where to start or how to start. Another way to, to start is like, you know, coming from a compliance perspective. So there are already all of these best practices, you know, all of these um, things that have been, you know, written that you should do by the cloud providers, by the Center for Internet Security. And these are also ways where you could say, okay, how do I test? Uh, what are these things are working well? You could construct a lot of test cases, as Michael said, you could construct a lot of test cases from these so-called best practices or these benchmarks. Just picking up on your point there about uh, chaos engineering is, is, or introduction of fault tolerance is an old thing. I, I was, I'm very fascinated by the moon landings in 1969 and onwards. And during the whole testing process, they actually introduced fault into the system deliberately to see that, to make sure that the error messages were correct. And the famous 1402 message, I don't know if, so this message came up as the land was approaching the moon and basically the 1402 message came up and one of the engineers remembered it from the actual fault tolerance or the fault injections experiments they'd done weeks before and said no you're good to go and uh, you know so, so yeah it's, it's been around for over 50 years if you think about it, nasa did it then so you and i had this conversation yeah. and i did listen to the recordings that you sent me you know like i i mean i worked at nasa for four and a half five years i actually worked in safety and reliability engineering so it's kind of it's not that like we did fdmas Right, we did fault trees like they do elements of fault injection, but it's you know it's the software, but the software is not like the software we have today. Like it's it's a bit differently done. A lot of times there's mathematical models that represent the faults. Like they have software that will generate what they think the faults are based upon the inputs. This is another extension of that, I guess would say sort of the chaos engineering stuff. You've both been involved in software that supports chaos engineering. So, Kennedy, you were involved in a product called Cloud Strike, C L O U D, not to be confused with another uh, tool. Aaron, uh, you've mentioned Chaos Slinger a couple of times. So, Kennedy, starting with you, could you explain what Cloud Strike does and, and how it might help people who want to do chaos engineering? Yeah, sure. So, Cloud Strike, it was designed specifically to kind of help out for compliance. And so what he did firstly, like once he executed, was to carry out some kind of enumeration of the entire cloud target. So the idea for this first step was to kind of get a snapshot that you could roll back to in case things went wrong. Or anyways, at the end of the experiment, you got to get this, the cloud back to how you made it. So after doing that, it will kind of select out of this whole set of resources the resources to attack. And then obviously there are ways you could um, already kind of define the fraction that you wanted to be attacked. And then you could also select the intensity of attacks. Based on that, it was going to like construct the attacks and inject to the various targets. And then it will generate a basic report that tells you about um, the findings of the attack, you know, how long it took, you know, some kind of interesting metrics, what it um, detected, and then you could, at the end of the day, tell it to roll back, go back to the good state. Yeah. So this was uh, more like how it, it wasn't a super complex, you know, just basic prototype, but it did the job for us. And Aaron, you had Chaos Slinger. I, I believe it's, it's not been deprecated. It just hasn't been worked on for a while. But but I guess that had a similar approach, didn't it? Um, yeah, you're right. It's not maintained anymore. I left United Health Group two and a half years ago. I was the, the core sponsor for that project. And one of the, you know it was the first open source project for the company. Largest healthcare company in the world. First open source tool is a tool that proactively introduced security failure into the system. It was a big, big, you have to imagine... You know, banks are pretty risk averse, but healthcare is a whole different thing, right? Because you get your money back if there's a breach. You can't, when somebody finds out you, you had too much fun when you were 22 and 
you know, <laughs> you know, I don't know. When somebody finds out your health data, you can't really change that. Get it back, right? It's out there. You know? So Chaos Slinger, it's now deprecated, but they built it, they rebuilt it, I think, in their CIC pipeline internally at the company, and they don't maintain it publicly anymore. I don't know if they reopen source anything else with it, but it still represents an easy framework for writing experiments. That's why I advocate for people to still go into the repo. And another cool thing about the tool, it wasn't originally called Chaos Slinger. It was originally called Poo Slinger. Okay, because we tried to, we were trying to figure out what would a chaos slinger, chaos monkey tool for security look like. So we we went through the Go code, chaos monkeys written in Go, and we're like, oh, we don't need half this crap. And we're like, okay, well, what? Let's name it after a monkey. Like, okay, well, what's what's security related with a monkey? Like, what do monkeys throw? They throw poop, right? So like, you know, so <laughs> so it made the project super fun for some of the best engineers of the company to work on. You know, I yeah. mean, like just off the side of our desk, we we're building this. You know, but then like marketing team said we can't open source poo so we changed the chaos slayer that's a little that's a little not not so well-known thing i don't know if kennedy knew that but it's called <laughs> but it's called then we call it chaos slayer so what a chaos so we originally had four experiments for the tool we open source i think two of them one of but we needed a main experiment that people could resonate with understand what the heck we were doing so we picked a misconfigured unauthorized port change because that was happening internally on our firewalls, some of the physical systems in the data center. Also, on it was happening in, in the cloud. And no matter whether you're a firewall engineer, a software engineer, a system engineer, a sysadmin, everybody kind of understands what a port is. Everybody kind of understands that there's 65,000 plus of them and that, you know, that what a firewall is supposed to do. So what we did was we, you know, Chaos Singer, what we would do is pseudo-randomly on an EC2 security group that, that had a reference tag uh, either poo, I think it was called originally, or it's, it's an opt-in tag. Most chaos engineering tools have opt-in, opt-out tag because you want to uh, opt-in, opt-out method because some you may not want to opt-in uh, on your edge, your uh, your edge firewall or your edge facing the internet. You may not want to opt-in opening and closing a port, you know, for example. But like we would open or close a port that wasn't already open or closed. Okay, that's what chaos layer did. And what it did was it went out and selected all the EC2 security groups that were available to do to do this on, it pseudo randomly picked one, and then what uh, Kennedy knows this very well as well. But what Slinger did was Slinger will actually introduce an open or closed port that wasn't already open or closed. It does that check because if you open the same port that's already open, it didn't do anything. But you know, but then a tracker tracks and reports the information to Slack, so you know what's happening. We didn't want to get emails. We didn't have to go look at logs. We wanted to just kind of like, as we ran the experiment, we wanted to just kind of see what was happening. That's why we did the Slack and. You know, that, that's kind of how it works. So, But you can easily take that same model and do that for an S3 bucket. You can do that for, you know, a unauthorized user, unauthorized access. You can do it for a, you know, network access, internal. Like, you know, you shouldn't be able to communicate. You could do it with like, you could simulate a connection to an out, external source, right? Like you could write the same experiment with a different model. It, 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 it represents a model for doing it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because you have to select the targets. Select the targets. There's an opt-in, opt-in framework for that. You should consider that in your design. Uh, you have to inject the failure. You have to track what, what happened. What, what were the results? What happened? Like, and that's that's kind of what it does. And that's why it's a, it's still referentially a good model. Great stuff. So we've defined experiments. We've executed those. What, what do we do with the results? <laughs> I, I can take a stab at that, Kennedy, and I'll hit it to you if you want. What do you do with the results? So this is a higher order question, really, in my opinion. Most people always focus on, you know, running the experiments and that's, it's crazy enough, right? It sounds yeah. crazy. It's actually very, like Kennedy said, it's very, very practical compared to a lot of other crazy things we do in security. But most people aren't thinking about what do I do with the results? How do I evangelize it? How do I make the case for value? How do I prove it? How do I, you have to be thinking about that because you're going to do this practice. It's a new practice. You have to explain why you did it, what, why, why you use that time, why you use people, other people's time and what value you got from it. So it's important that you build that into your model of how you're going to do things. So start small, always something built and executed and ran is something better than an idea. If you can build it and run it and show the value in a lower environment, show them how it works, you could evangelize what you're doing. Say, hey, you know, I, I really, if you read the Capital One case study in the O'Reilly report on security chaos engineering, David Lovetso goes through that, like, you know, how he did that. And it's like, every time he did it, he went by and said, hey, guys, this didn't work. I'm not I'm not trying to pick on you, but I'm letting you know, like, it's not working. Like, we, we put this in place because he was originally asked to evaluate new tools. But then he started saying, I want to evaluate what we're doing now. 
<laughs> like, so like he started evaluating what we're doing now. He said, it's not working. It's not working. We thought it worked. It doesn't work. Like, you know, and he started communicating every time he did an experiment, he started communicating to the teams that it's supposed to be working on and letting them know and being an advocate. I think that really helps towards the business and communicate towards the business. But like, if you talk to anybody who's been chaos engineering in general, any of the mature companies or banks, they'll tell you like, that's the next challenge. It's less about the tools. You'll get that down. You'll figure that out eventually. The next story is evangelizing the results and organizing that in a meaningful way. And then it's expanding the scope, new teams, Mm. new applications, you know, repetitive tests, you know, it's sophisticating. That's kind of how I see it. Yeah, I think this question of what you use with the results, it's, it's a very important question. And from a security standpoint, there are, firstly, you know, you have the challenge of what system is going to consume the results. Yeah, and that should be um, a core factor for deciding about, as Aaron said, how, what format do you want the results to, um, to be constructed? Is it like a YAML file, JSON file? Do you want to make the results to be like some existing uh, log format, you know, Apache, whatever? Like that's going to be something you're going to decide based on your system. And um, what we did for our experiments was like, you know, because in a cloud, especially on, on Amazon Web Services, you got these whole systems that are just based on APIs. And so if you understand how the APIs work, then you can just decide to act on it. So what we did was, for example, we were testing for, I think, security groups. And we're like, okay, so if you if you conduct a test and a security group fails, you could just, firstly, there are two things, right? The first thing is what it, if you are just testing whether there's an, an alert, then you have to like construct a rule that will trigger that alert. So on AWS, it's like for you to create a CloudWatch rule that triggers an alert about that event. And that, that's one layer of doing it. You, it's not yet, it's not full cycle because the problem still exists. You can step forward and say, well, I can also go there to, to either create a policy that blocks that port or whatever that, you know, so there are various layers. And if you already have a tool that does that, okay, it's about how do you send that message to the tool and kind of hand over the responsibility to the tool to, to carry out what it's sitting there for. So there's a lot of way of thinking about what you do with that information. Another way I think about it is like you constructing a sort of knowledge base, which can be like in the end, you're going to repeatedly carry out these experiments and, and these environments are continuously changing. So in the end, you have like a, a huge bag of um, experiments and results, and you can just easily say construct an attack for me, go check in that bag and just pick any one of these ones and use it. And and that even helps you to kind of have, I don't know, how do you call it, like track your system, how it's progressing over time. Like that that whole um, knowledge, you can use it for making um, decisions in the future. Good for confidence scores as well. Like that's another thing you can do when you have that kind of regression analysis, like that kind of over time, you, you get to kind of like score the system. Yeah, exactly. Some of the metrics on telling you how confident I'm, I have this much information to tell me when this kind of thing happens, I'm 90%, I have a 90% confidence confidence interval or whatever. And I always feel if you collect trend data as well, it it sort of becomes evidence in its own right for justifying why you're doing this as well. You know, you can see improvements over time. Who tends to introduce uh, security chaos engineering or chaos engineering into an organization? Uh, And who tends to own it? Is it is it security, operations, or, or some other part of the business? So the answer I'm going to give you is a mixed one, okay? Because we're still early days with security chaos engineering. So I am collecting the stories, but I don't have all of them, right? Like, it's because I do all these podcasts and conferences. People eventually reach out to me or Kennedy, and they'll tell us what they're doing. You know, <laughs> that's how I heard about Capital One. You know, we heard about, you know, Cardinal Health and the slew of other companies that are now going to be in the book. But anyway, so chaos engineering. I've noticed could be done at the team model. An individual product team will sometimes do it. You know, sometimes they'll be do an SRE will orchestrate it. Sometimes SREs will have be a central function at a company, and the SREs will want to own chaos engineering and how it's done in the tooling because it's more of a. It was always kind of an SRE practice, kind of. Even at Google, it was dirt. The SRE team did dirt at Google. So SREs is a centralized model, a decentralized model with different teams or products. You know, the security chaos engine, it's still kind of interesting to see how it's unfolding. I started doing it when I was a chief security architect at United Health Group. Turns out that the people who contacted me the most to get started doing this are 
chief security architects. You know, architecture is a function that uh, needs to evolve. Like, how do we do what we've done? Togaf never worked, right? SOPSA never really worked either. You know, it's like, you know, what do we do now? How do we be effective? How do we bring all, a lot of times architects are some of the most seasoned, knowledgeable engineers, but like a lot of times, you know, you got to have built some stuff before to know how to architect it correctly. Anyway, so chief architects are another one. You know, I'm seeing threat, threat hunting teams adopted. I'm seeing, which may also make sense. I'm also seeing cloud security engineering teams as well. So, uh, otherwise you're seeing just the direct platform teams, Kubernetes teams. So you're seeing the people that run the platforms sort of want to control their own destiny. That's where a lot of the, a lot of people are doing is like, I want to, I don't want the security team futzing with my system. I want to kind of just like prove it and say, Hey, here, here's the results. Stay away. You know, that's why I see engineers wanting to do so. Anyway, any your observations? I think it's a very difficult question that doesn't have an answer. It depends on the organization. I mean, look at the way security is looked as looked at DevSecOps. Like when I was interviewing for for my current job, I interviewed at some companies that don't have a security team. Like the security team is embedded in the, the various teams. And they only have like meetings where they come in for the security champions meeting. Then they just go back. Like only the CTO or some VP take or one, one kind of appointment. He's, he does security and if there's a security problem. He can just pull whoever to handle it. So I think um, even the security rule is like kind of going away. For example, Aaron talked about the, the cloud security engineer, which is it, it's a very cha- challenging role. Because for you to be a cloud security engineer, you have to pick up like everything about security, application security, programming, network security, because in the cloud, all of these things are jumbled up and you just have to take care of everything. And so if you add security chaos engineering into all of this mess of all kinds of things in a cloud, who takes care of it? Like it's really difficult. But you know, apart from that, I had a discussion with a big VC and companies and so he was interested in chaos engineering, he was asking, and after I described to him, he asked the same question, who are you going to sell this stuff to? You know, and in the end, he said he thinks it's going to be like the SREs, and which makes a lot of sense because, you know, SREs in, in, in one company that I worked, they're actually doing security. And the security guys are doing compliance. <laughs> they only do compliance, they don't do security. You know, so in, in that kind of a company, SREs would do, they would do chaos engineering or even mm-hmm. the security chaos engineering. Uh, in other places, maybe it's more like DevOps. So I think it's, it's really, it's very new. As Aaron also mentioned, it's a new trend. It's a new topic. And then it depends on who starts it in the company and who is ready to jump into the boat and hand, take care of all the responsibilities. If they are going to like acquire a tool, like I spoke with some companies, it, uh, I think they just wanted to um, acquire the, the tool as a, an entry point to using chaos engineering. So they look for a, an established tool. So it's easy to explain to the management because it's the commercial tool. So in this case, whoever started that whole, you know, triggered this whole decision-making has to handle it and select for himself his team. So it's a very crucial question that really has no, no answer. I think ultimately what we don't want is to see recruiters come up with a security chaos engineering role. <laughs> is there anything else you guys want to share with our listeners? I would say, I'm just put this out there. Kennedy and I are freely available. Our information is out there on the internet. At least mine is. My DMs are open. My, my phone number is out there. Don't, yeah, if you don't, don't call me selling, sell me crap. Just if you want to talk to me, you talk to me. That's okay. I know you're gonna. I know you're still gonna try. My LinkedIn. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. Email me. I. I really. I really want to hear from people. You know what's funny is people always. You know, I used to when I was junior. I used to always think that he's not gonna answer me. He's not gonna see. He'll say they say no for me. I was on a. I was on a podcast for like day in life an entrepreneur, and I. I was trying to like tell people like, you believe that just about ninety nine percent of people on the internet will actually talk to you as long as you're genuine. Right, like and anybody who won't talk to you, you didn't want to talk to them to begin with. So, I mean, about reaching out to Aaron, I think that was how I met Aaron. So, I never knew Aaron anywhere, and I, I was just like, you know, trying to understand if I was, I was bullshitting myself or I was doing something foolish. 
And I, I didn't find anyone around to like ask this question. And so I started looking around in the internet and I saw a couple of Aaron's um, articles and I hesitated for a long time not to reach out. But you know, I went to conferences, I spoke and even from the academic perspective, you were saying, you don't know what you're talking about. And I needed someone who would just say, just one person who would like say, go ahead. And I just sent a, I sent a LinkedIn message to Aaron and like he rapidly answered. He read my paper, like the questions he was asking, like when he was, was responding, it was evident he had read the paper like from back to front. And the next few days we were already on a video call, which he, he also invited James Wicked. It was, it was, that was all I needed. Like I was all in. So <laughs> I think for me too, I'm open to answer questions. I'm really um, anxious. I'm, 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 I want to talk to people, people who have questions, people who are not very sure about this field, who have, who even don't like it. And I, I want to hear those kind of stories. Like, what are you doing? It's, it's rubbish. Like, I love, to, I love to participate in that kind of critical examination of what I'm doing. And it, I, I, it's going to be a great learning experience for me. So just put this in the context. Kennedy, you've written a paper. It's called Chaos Engineering for Security and Resiliency in Cloud Infrastructure. You've also contributed to yeah. the report that Aaron wrote, which is a, an O'Reilly publication called uh, Security Chaos Engineering. I believe, Aaron, you're also in the midst of writing a book which should be out um, in early next 2022. Well, thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Kennedy, for coming on to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you wish to give a talk at the monthly gathering or come and join us in this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via Twitter, which is at DevSecOps underscore LG. We look forward to hearing from you. The music for this podcast has been produced by Joshua Mann, a budding young talented musician.